0: This OIS podcast is brought to you by Aerie Pharmaceuticals. Aerie is a clinical stage pharmaceutical company that's focused on the discovery, the development, and the commercialization of first-in-class therapies for patients with glaucoma and other diseases of the eye. Thank you, Aerie, for supporting this podcast. Welcome to the
1: OIS podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Tom Salemi. You're listening to the OIS Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're going to talk about the private equity world today and its interest in ophthalmology. We're bringing you two different perspectives. Uh, One will come from David Alpern. He's the founding partner of Varsity Healthcare Partners. And Varsity is a private equity group that's invested in ophthalmology before. We'll talk about that in this podcast. And then we'll talk with Brent Wild. And Brent is the president of Minnesota Eye Consultants, uh, Minnesota iConsultants, Consultants, of course, made a, a an arrangement with Wad Capital Partners, another private equity investor, to create a new entity that would allow it to grow within the Twin Cities and also potentially nationwide. So, these two folks are going to uh, give you very different perspectives on private equity's interest in ophthalmology. Talk about how it impacts a practice, uh, how it compares, how ophthalmology compares to uh, other industries where this is taking place, like dermatology. So. I hope you find this conversation fascinating. I invite you to do two things. Uh, We did a podcast with Dr. Lindstrom a few months ago, Track that one down. He was very generous with his time. I thought it was very informative and and, and very well received. So please do give that a listen if this is something you're interested in. Finally, before I get into these conversations, please do go to ois.net to register for OIS at ASRS. It's happening on August 10th in Boston. We would love to see you there at OIS at ASRS. Now, let's get into this conversation first with David Alpern of Varsity Healthcare Partners, and then we'll talk with Brent Wild from Minnesota Eye Consultants. Well, Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This has been an area of increasing interest, the the, the private equity groups of which you you represent one, Mm -hmm. moving into ophthalmology. Um, And we'll get into some details in in a minute. We've written about uh, Wad Capital Partners partnering with Minnesota Eye. You've got uh, an enterprise as well that predates them. So you were technically first, I guess. But uh, I want to back up a bit. Because the comparison I keep hearing is is ophthalmology has many of the qualities that we've seen in dermatology. And dermatology has been really where you guys have been making some hay as of late. What is it about dermatology that made that an attractive space And then we can kind of move over into ophthalmology. But what about ophthalmology that makes it as attractive space potentially as dermatology?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I get this question a lot. Um, Obviously, we we had a very successful run in dermatology. I guess the similarity probably starts and ends with this. Dermatology was a play on essentially a supply-demand imbalance with respect to a growing skin cancer epidemic in this country and a very small provider base to treat that epidemic. There are, I think, real-time 16,000 licensed dermatologists to practice in this country. Um, we see coming, and we're experiencing it now, but we're really in the next 10 years, ophthalmology will experience something quite similar, which is the rise of chronic eye disease incidents, which correlates very much with age and a relatively small workforce to treat it, which is 18,000 ophthalmologists. Now um, those are um, th- those are the similarities in secular trends. The other thing that people look at and certainly we have as, as investors is there is severe fragmentation of the provider base. Now I'm not going to tell you that dermatology and ophthalmology are unique in that. Most provider realms uh, are deeply fragmented. That's just the nature of the US healthcare economy. But, um, when you look at the you know 18,000 ophthalmologists in this in the. US and um, to my knowledge, I think our practice is probably one of, the, if not the largest in the country with you know, 150 million in revenue uh, in a 12 billion dollar market. Um, that is sort of the definition of fragmentation. So those two things: strong supply demand imbalance, which will drive good volume growth, good utilization growth, and then a consolidation rationale that we think is positive for the provider uh, and and uh, and and ultimately the patient. That's what that's what's attractive. I, I would I never would have considered.
0: Clinical demand as a, as a factor, I would assume that you're just looking for an inefficiency, and you're gonna you're gonna bring efficiency to an inefficient system or one that just needs to be consolidated. But you, in fact, see in a system that could maybe benefit from consolidation, while at the same time is is going to be required to meet a growing clinical demand.
2: Yeah, you know, your point's still well taken, which is. There is inefficiency. I don't want to give us, as private equity investors, too much credit um, that we're going to reinvent practices. Um, Can we take central functions – uh, and, and administer them centrally, such that an independent practitioner who joins our practice can uh, basically create more time to see patients. We absolutely can do that. Can we build better as a big organization than we can as an as an independent practitioner? We absolutely can do that. But that is not as specific to I Care. I mean, that's that's sort of our thesis generally in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really the secular trends that, that that get us excited and the consolidation opportunity. Tell us a bit about your your practice. Sure. Um, so Varsity is a uh, private equity fund um, specialized in, in healthcare services. Clearly, but we actually have a very specific niche. Really, all we do is this: we acquire multi-location care providers, meaning functionally a group or a practice where a doctor or some licensed care professional is a labor is the labor force administering care to patients across multiple locations. I mean, that is really almost exclusively what Varsity does. We use our capital and our resources to acquire practices and groups when they're owned by the provider. So we're basically partnering with those providers. We're bringing in outside management where it's needed, Um, putting some money behind infrastructure, typically revenue cycle and clinical workflow, a little bit of IT, And then we help the practice grow typically through a very accelerated acquisition strategy. Uh, In a nutshell, that's what my firm does. And we've done this uh, successfully in dermatology. Uh, I think we've had a really good run in ophthalmology. We have a good primary care practice. uh, And there's lots of other verticals we're looking to do that in. But that's basically what Varsity does.
0: What what is the practice you have in ophthalmology?
2: It's called ES – well, we refer to it as ESP. But it's known commercially as eye care services partners. And that is um, basically today – a company that helps manage ophthalmology practices uh, employees and, and our shareholders are the doctors themselves, centrally administering non clinical functions and Today that business is roughly sixty locations nationwide, almost over almost one hundred doctors uh, and nearly one hundred and fifty million in revenue so it 's one of the largest, if not the largest, essentially practice in the country and it is an integrated practice existing um, today in Uh, seven markets across five states. So is it integrated in in name only, or do they share a lot of back office services? good question. It's actually integrated not in name at all. Um, You'll never see... uh, eye care services partners on anybody's business card other than the management Great team. Um, we actually believe very strongly in leaving the local brands in place that are part of our practice. But what they do share, and you made this point well is is the back office and infrastructure. So billing and compliance and recruiting, marketing, those are all administered by essentially a central company um, managed by a group of very professional managers who are not doctors. Uh, and it's obviously done at this point nationally. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how the practice works. And when I say integrated, I mean truly integrated. They, there is one EHR and EMR system that we are all on. Uh, we bill centrally, which really means regionally. We have two regional billing centers, um, but we don't have to leave that function locally. We'll do it as a, We'll do it at corporate marketing. We give marketing support from corporate acquisitions, business development, all done by corporate reporting, compliance, all administered by corporate. That's what I mean. That's what our company does. And, and uh, it's grown from um, kind of the early days of ESP was uh, a five-clinic chain in Central Maryland called the Cats and Eye Group, which was a wonderful practice, um, to now a, a, a national company.
0: In industry like ophthalmology, we're, what, we're, what we're here at this conference to do is to talk about the, the new technologies that are, that are coming up. Those are obviously, some of them are expensive. They're big ticket items that these practices have to buy. Is that another uh, benefit? to having
2: a deep-pocketed firm behind you to to make those acquisitions a little more palatable? It is. Um, We can make investments. I mean we as a company have a balance sheet and and quite frankly have the managerial talent Mm -hmm. uh, and the IT DNA that typically doesn't exist – within the, an independent practice. And I don't mean that disparagingly. Sure. Um, doctors are great at medicine, um, but asking them to be um, on the forefront of EHR and um, practice management technology, I think is asking a lot. Um, and so we have uh, a company that essentially can put money behind it and has the managerial talent to actually execute and deploy that technology in a way that we think would, should, should be accretive to an independent practitioner who joins our practice. Do you, a lot of... Uh
0: innovation that I've referenced earlier comes from the physicians themselves. And I think one concern that I've heard is that, and will probably come up on the conversation today, is that as these groups get larger, the ability to innovate will, will be hampered. Is that something that you discussed? Is that something you
2: consider? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really important risk. Uh, it's also an opportunity. So um, I think the key to doing this well, meaning taking what are small and, dare, dare I say, um, professionals, meaning medical professionals who value their autonomy, specifically clinical autonomy, mm-hmm. um, and getting them to join a bigger organization and really get behind it both as equity owners as well as great sponsors of the business and the community. How do you do that? Um, you have to engage them. So as a large organization, you have to listen to the doctors um, and, be, and be listening constantly as opposed to pushing new I- shiny new ideas down to the providers. We actually try not to get in the way of the way – those providers are practicing medicine. The goal is not to take uh, a marginal physician and make him great just because he's part of our practice. Mm -hmm. The goal is really to acquire great physician and arm them with hopefully more sophisticated tools, maybe just different tools, but hopefully more sophisticated tools to practice medicine better uh, and to be more productive if that's their goal. But that's it. I mean, honestly, we, we really don't try to push clinical protocols down from corporate into a market where it may not be appropriate. Uh, we try not to take technology and tell it's, tell uh, a doctor who's much more qualified to make the decision than us that that's going to be accretive to the patient's experience or their care program. We really try to stay out of that. Mm-hmm. What we're good at is running uh, and really managing practices. Um, that's our competency as a company. And I would guess
0: that also goes along with
2: physicians working with corporations
0: on projects and clinical trials and things like that, that all... Supportive of
2: all of it. I mean, that's the beauty of being a part of a larger entity is you can take that kind of innovation risk or put money behind clinical research in a way that might be harder uh, if it's all on your own dime as an independent practitioner. And as, an, as a large, um, relatively large, um, multi-market provider today, we have so many touch points with different patients and providers that puts our company in a really good position to be on the forefront of that innovation. Mm-hmm.
0: And finally, how does, this, how does a story like this
2: and you're an investor with a timeline. Uh, where,
0: where, what do these companies become and who ultimately owns them? Yeah, that's
2: a really good question. I mean the reality is um, I don't have a grand vision um, and, and we don't really put businesses together with the idea of trying to get someone specifically to buy them from mm-hmm. us. But what I would tell you is this, and I think the evidence um, that I'm here and that other private equity funds are now here at a ophthalmology conference should tell you, you have a very vibrant capital market in private equity. Um, So there will be medium and large private equity funds who can own – Uh, great ophthalmology practices when it's time for us to sell them. And what they'll do is just do what we're doing and probably do it better. They'll continue an acquisition strategy. They'll continue a really aggressive hiring strategy. They'll put more money into new initiatives like technology and clinical research All we're doing is starting a little bit earlier. We start smaller. Our typical strike zone is when a practice is sort of 5 million of earnings and above. Um, And we will more than likely, the next owner will look just like us as a private equity fund. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, I really don't have uh, a grand idea about what um, other than maybe there's a good 20 years of consolidation ahead of us before we ever run out of real estate. And we have to look at a, a market where there's some really large competitors and no room for anyone else. We're in no danger of that now. Excellent. Well, I hope we'll see you at many future OISs. Look forward to it.
0: All right, David Alpern, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Next, I want to introduce Brent Wild. Brent is the president of Minnesota Eye Consultants. Uh, Brent came into the uh, the process of choosing the fate and future of Minnesota Eye Consultants a, a little later into the game, as he'll, as he'll get into. But now that he is uh, helping to run the practice, he can speak to what impact having a private equity Investor like Watt Capital has on a practice, so I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Brent. I'm very grateful he had the chance to sit down, and again, don't forget we have attached the uh, interview with Dr. Lindstrom, Dr. Dick Lindstrom, the founder of Minnesota i Consultants, to the OIS Weekly Newsletter. So uh, to hear Dr. Lindstrom's point of view on this, and we had him on the podcast a few months ago as well. Track down that video or look at that uh, that previous podcast, and uh, he was very, very grateful, gracious rather, with his time uh, for that podcast, and uh, it's really worth a listen. So now let's get into this conversation with Brent Wild, the president of Minnesota Eye Consultants.
1: Brent, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: One of the areas I love to talk about is just sort of the, the the practice of the the practice of ophthalmology. I want to just understand a bit about. Uh, the business behind it, because we're seeing a lot of uh, well, a lot of activity from private equity investors that are looking to create larger vehicles to uh, to consolidate uh, ophthalmology practices or, or build larger practices.
1: What are the biggest challenges facing ophthalmology practices today? You know, that's a great question, Tom. I would say one of the biggest challenges, not just in ophthalmology but for all of us in healthcare, is that continual reimbursement pressure that we all face. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what CMS will do. There's lots of committee structures that are attacking it from different angles all the time. So I think it's always trying to stay ahead of that curve and being prepared for alternative payment models. How do you do those sorts of things and have your organization prepared for any of those eventual hits to your reimbursement? So to me, that's probably one of the number one things that keeps me up at night, how to prepare for that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that, uh, you know, tied to that is really who do you partner with? you know, in the, in today's day and age, everybody is uh, partnering up, whether mm-hmm. it be with a local health system, an insurance company, private equity partner. You know, the list is pretty long, but I think uh, we're going to see more and more all of us in this space are going to have to make decisions like that.
0: Have you looked at other specialties and, and seen a model that you think reflects ophthalmology best, or
1: is every specialty sort of have its own quirks and it's hard to draw comps from one to the other? Well, I think, You know, there's things you can learn from each of the other specialties that are out there. So I have uh, colleagues and friends and many of them, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, orthopedics is one of those that's really interesting. It's been going through several layers of consolidation in in the market that I'm from out of the Minneapolis area. Yet it's still not uh, an area where the uh, private equity has stepped in or folks like that. It's been a lot of pulling together of smaller groups that are more of a fragmented nature and making big mega practices, if you will. And then I also see in dermatology, they tend to have some more of those uh, groups are getting involved with private equity. And I think part of the differential is it's pretty obvious it's that cash and carry component that exists in dermatology. It doesn't really exist in the orthopedic world and in other worlds. So. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and in ophthalmology, is the comparison? I've heard the, the uh, dermatology or aesthetics comparison that the private equity investors have done well in dermatology and because ophthalmology shares some of those traits that this is an area where that formula may apply do you see that that connection as well do you mentioned you mentioned the cash aspect of it is it is it strong is it is it are they similar yes
1: it's a great question i think there's certainly an element of that cash component to the ophthalmology space mm-hmm. it's certainly not as big as the dermatology space so i right. think it's it's a bit different from that perspective but I think the thing that's similar is in ophthalmology, it tends to be a rather fragmented market mm-hmm. all over the country, which I think is probably what grabs the attention of a lot of the investment community. As they see an opportunity to pull things together in a more organized fashion and prepare organizations to take on bigger and bolder things, such as risk contracts, they feel they can be a strong part of that process for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we talked to Dick Lynchham about the, the partnering with Wad Capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that come
1: together, and what does it mean going going forward? So, just a little bit of background about myself. I joined Minnesota Eye as the president back in October of mm-hmm. 2016. Oh, okay. So, they were already a bit down the path uh, of the private equity conversation, as you heard in Dr. Lindstrom's conversation. Mm-hmm. So, when I came in, we were really landing who that partner was going to be. And so, as we went through that process and Wad was selected, a couple of the big pieces from my perspective that were so important was You know, you have a lot of the younger partners uh, in terms of the financial ability to take on additional debt and personal guarantees. I think those things certainly factored in. And for us, the ability to grow our organization at a quicker pace. I think in most aspects of business, if you're not growing, that can be a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think it's no different in ophthalmology than in any other sort of business that you might be in. So the organization really sorted through that and I was part of that process and we landed on Watt as our partner.
0: So after that transaction was done, has it changed your job considerably? Do you have access to resources that you didn't previously have and now you're able to, to pursue that growth that maybe you wouldn't have before?
1: Great question. The resource to, or access to resources is tremendously valuable mm-hmm. and it has proven to be the case already. Uh, I'll give you a, a great example. We had lots of opportunity to take our reporting to some different levels to get information out in a, a fashion that's even more usable to all of, uh, all the operators in the organization. And that's always something a little bit hard to find, the, the investment dollars to take that to the level that you want to. Mm-hmm. When we partner with uh, WAD, that's something they're very willing to step in right away and make some extra investments to help us do that. So that's been tremendously helpful now. We get lots of really good real-time information. Um, It was always there, but to get it organized and, and, you know, you just get distracted with so many other things day-to-day running a business, that's one thing right off the top of my head that comes to mind. Secondly is the ability to have them as business partners, to reflect and process business ideas Mm -hmm. and strategic conversations and where we can go with things. And I think that's been tremendously valuable for all of us too.
0: I'm sure they've seen a lot of things and and share those insights. And lastly, are you getting a lot of phone calls from uh, your counterparts asking similar questions to this like these?
1: I sure am getting a lot of phone calls, (laughs) lots of emails and uh, running a lot of folks out here at the meetings. But, uh, yeah, I would expect that will continue. And uh, I'm always happy to talk with folks because it's a it's a pretty big decision for each individual practice to make. But definitely for us and for myself, I feel we, we made a great decision and have a great future. Well,
0: thanks for sharing uh, some insights today.
1: You bet. Thank you.
0: And that is a wrap. David Alpern and Brent Wild, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this, uh, these two conversations about private equity interest in ophthalmology. And again, don't forget to check out Dr. Lindstrom's comments in the video that's on the OIS Weekly Newsletter. You can also find that on OIS.net. And while you're at OIS.net, Don't forget to register for OIS at ASRS. It's coming up on August 10th in Boston. So uh, just go to ois.net, register for the conference, sign up for the the weekly newsletter, and you will be good to go. Thanks again, podcast listeners, for joining us. Give us a ranking on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. Do uh, tell your friends about the podcast. The more ears listening, the better. And finally, do feel free to shoot me an email, Tom, at HealthAG. Dot com The word health followed by letters dot com would love to hear uh, what we should be talking about, who we should be talking to, or just uh, anything else uh, you'd like to uh, communicate. So thanks again for joining us. Join us on August 10th at OIS at ASRS in Boston, my hometown.